Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 192. Demand for non-mules merino wool has been growing around the world and with Australia being the dominant merino producer, for that demand to keep on growing, increased supplies is going to have to come from Australia. And there is a lot of interest from Australian merino growers in transitioning to a non-mule system, but there's also a lot to consider and plan for when making that decision. Sally Martin is very passionate about helping farmers to navigate through the ups and downs of farming, including this transition, and she's joining us to discuss it on the podcast today. So Sally's been in the sheep industry for over 30 years, and you'll hear she very clearly has a knack for explaining science and hard data in a practical way to really drive changes on farm. Before we do get into the conversation, though, here are a few key things to know from markets this week. The wool market had its last sale before the three-week winter recess, and there was a large offering of wool put forward that put downward pressure on prices this week. And looking ahead to after the break, we're seeing weakening oil prices driving polyester prices lower, so there is some downside risk there for fibres. The dramatic fall in cattle prices has really taken the market by surprise. So in July, we'd usually see prices rise, but there are a few factors that have caused the opposite to occur, and we've seen the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator lose over 100 cents in the last month. So poorer quality cattle appear to be hitting the market, and then there's also the threat of foot and mouth disease that is no doubt weighing on demand. I'll leave it there for today and hand over to Sally Martin and Robert Herman. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for the intro, Olivia. Today on Commodity Conversations, you're right, I'm talking to Sally Martin, and Sally has a long history of involvement in the sheep industry. Uh, she grew up on the Monero, and um, we know what sort of uh, wonderful sheep country that is, Sally, although quite cold. But then working for the DPI for over 20 years and now running your own consulting business, assisting sheep producers for the past 11 years. And you're based in Young. And the business uh, Sheep Metrics is a leading provider in, in our view in assisting producers to use the data to build progressive sheep breeding programs. Sally, welcome to Commodity Conversations. Oh, thank you, Robert, for the opportunity. It's great to be here. Well, today we're going to focus on advice for wool producers who are looking to move towards phasing out musing of their sheep. Now, we we know that there's a lot of um, sheep breeders who are at various stages along the decision path. What's your advice for someone who's starting? Let's start at the start. Someone who's starting on that path, what's the advice you would give them to begin the journey? Yeah, it's a good question. And a lot of it really depends on, as you say, where they're starting from. So there's not, it's very hard to have a blanket approach to our industry because we've got different climates, different, a lot of different sheep types. So I think it, for a producer wanting to go down this pathway, getting a really clear um, a breeding objective in terms of where, how, where they want to head and how quickly they want to go there, and, but also getting a benchmark in where they are currently are. So if they've got an understanding of it, you know, where their flock sits, whether we're looking at wrinkle or um, DAG scores and, and, you know, there's so many other, you know, their, their calendar of operations as well is also really important you know, the timing of different events. So for, to start with, 
we really need that benchmark and then that will also help then to inform the breeding objective in terms of the strategies that we might put in place, whether that's some slight changes in management or a different breeding focus. And at the end of the day, they still need to be making money. So having a really uh, a good understanding of their key profit drivers in their business and then how flexible that business might be to be, maybe to be able to adjust and, and accommodate some of those potential changes. Yes, and we know that uh, there is demand for non-mules. Well, we're seeing that coming through the market. However, like all of these um, um, bonuses, if you like, or premiums, they come with challenges. And we can't ignore the fact that producers, farmers who are going to move to supply that non-mules wool and meet that demand have got to uh, have that adjustments on farms. So things like managing their animals, fly strike and dags is really important. I know we had you come along and talk to a group of nutrient um, wool advisors and stud stock advisors, and you talk about how farmers might move down that pathway. And it's, and it's about using data and recording and um, ASBV. So just elaborate a little bit on that, please, Sally. Sure. So the breeding values, and we talk about them in Australia as Australian sheep breeding values, are a really great tool. I guess the thing really that sits behind those is also we also need to know that they're coming from um, ram breeders that are providing good quality data too. So just because you've got a breeding value doesn't mean you've got a good sheep and vice versa. So it's a tool that we can use. Having an understanding of how they're generated and also then how to use them as not only a benchmark with commercial breeders so they can get an understanding of what their current RAM team is, so the average of their RAM team, or they might do a flock profile if they're not purchasing RAMs with breeding values. Um, I think having an understanding of, as I said before, where, where your starting point is, is really important to then go, well, how quickly can we move this? The beauty, I suppose, with breeding values, as I said, they're a tool. And as we've had an increase in the number of RAM breeders doing full pedigree, potentially with DNA testing, DNA parentage, or whether they're still mothering up, it gives us greater um, confidence when we start selecting for traits that are often antagonistic, for example, fleece weight and, and wrinkle. Um, but we know as an industry that we can increase fleece weight while reducing wrinkle to be able to, you know, and wrinkle is one of those indicator traits for breech fly strike. But I guess having a bit of a... Um, backtracking a little bit in terms of you know what's important on farm what are your key profit drivers I'll still come back to that and you talked a bit about you know the wool market but we've also you know a big component of um, our sheep industry is our surplus sheep sales and whether that we you know we're hitting the prime lamb market or older older sheep you know that's still a, a, a large percentage of our um, income stream so as we also potentially reduce wrinkle, we're looking at it's positively correlated with more live lambs. So, you know, what we might lose in one aspect, we might pick up. So it's very much about having that balanced approach, um, which I think is really important. They're very good points, Sally. I just want to take you back, and I think the point you make about value in sheep sales uh, for a merino industry is re a merino enterprise is really 
changed in the last few years. So, you know, um, having good fertility, good lamb survivability and, and good meat traits is important. But most of the, um, it's, you raised a good point about uh, profitability in wool. And we know that that's a combination principally of micron and fleece weights. And I've got to say that back in my, when I started, you know, sheep were bred with wrinkles to try and increase fleece weight. Now, so there are people out there who would say, well, if we're going to remove wrinkle, we're putting at risk fleece weight. But, you know, what's the evidence in people who are doing that? Have you got examples of, of flocks that have been reducing wrinkle and increasing fleece weight or maintaining fleece weight? Or, or what's the evidence on the field with the clients you work with, Sally? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's a great, great question. And, and uh, I would say absolutely, yes, we can do it, but we, we need information and data to be able to back that up to make those informed decisions. So uh, the, a number of the ram breeders that we're working with, we're, we're still looking at all the production traits that are important to them. For example, micron, whether they want to slightly reduce it or maintain it, um, you know, could be a, a more aggressive approach depending on, again, as I said before, where people start from. We want to have uh, increasing potentially fleece weight or at least maintaining it. So if they get to a point where they're happy with it and we start looking at reproduction and, and how those um, use it, you know, whether they're getting in lamb and, how, you know, litter size, but really importantly is you rareability. So we've now got those component traits that we add into the mix. And then we start looking at, if we're starting looking at that non-mules DAG in particular, like that's a really important trait when you're looking at purchasing rams as well as wrinkle. And, and it's all these combinations of things that we need to make sure that, um, we, as I was talked before, about getting that balance right. And so we've got a number of breeders that are actively ram breeders when I talk about breed, um, that are actively measuring all of those traits. So then when we make our U and RAM joining allocations, we're, we're getting trying to get the best of the best so that we can still either slightly increase fleece weight as, a, as an example and reduce that wrinkle um, so that we can manage that. And as an industry, I've just seen some um, recent um, information come out from um, sheep genetics and, and as an industry, we have been gradually increasing fleece weight and we're also as an industry in the merinos reducing wrinkle so i think there's some really positive things that we're, we're doing and there's a larger number of ram breeders that are collecting that information and putting it in so we should be having more confidence with that data um, to be able to use it to make decisions Sally, that's, um, that's terrific news because um, that gives us some confidence. But I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking, gee, it's, it's a bit complicated. There's a lot to take in here. Um, when, we, when I've spoken to you other times, you've talked about farmers um, building a team approach. You know, how, who else can they get involved? How can they actually build support around it? Can you just talk a little bit about that idea? Yeah, I I think having a team, and, and I use a team of people that support my business as well. So, you know, your accountant and you, you, you have a number of people that you work with. And with, you know, farming, it's it's very complicated because you've got so many different facets. You know, you're, you're a pasture agronomist, you're a, a sheep, you know, you're managing sheep, you're managing the finances. There's so many different things. So 
having that team approach, you know, with your um, your shearing contractors, your agents, and your advisors, and um, you know, other people at the club, you know, your sheep classer, and making sure that everyone's on the same page. And I think that's where we come back to having a really clear breeding objective, so that when you're making those decisions. Say, for example, you plan to go non-mules and you're giving yourself, you know, five, six years maybe, as an example, talk to your shearing contractor and going, this is what we're planning on doing. We're going down this path. And the conversations that I've been having with breeders who are, yeah, that's one example, that, that are doing those types of things are feeling that they've got everyone on side and, and, and people are supportive. And I think that's um, probably a big thing is that you're not alone in all of this. That's a really good bit of advice. And I, I, I also just want to, talking about getting information and assistance and advice, I just want to talk about the program that you and Lisa Warner are running, uh, which is an MLA-funded program, I think, which is the Producer Demonstration Project. Is that right? It's MLA-funded? Correct, it is, yeah. yes. So just tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. I know there are, you've told us there are four core producer groups in New South Wales and Victoria. What are the things that they're looking at? So this is what part of the uh, yeah, MLA Producer Demonstration Project scheme, if you like, and it's uh, we've got, between Lisa and I, we've got four core groups, and so those groups are roughly about 10 producers, and within a, they're all in different locations. There's three in Victoria, and we've got one in the Southwest Slopes. And part of that group conversation is to set up, um, a, you know, a five-year plan in terms of transitioning and all of the breeders have started it at a different stage and we've been able to set up demonstrations on their properties to be able to look at things that are important to them. So, for example, there's a number of breeders in Victoria who are looking at DAG management and how we can better manage that in, in their particular environments because it's going to be different in terms of rainfall, pasture types and all of that. Um, We've also set up a sire evaluation, if you like, looking at the breeding. So we've set up uh, one where we've got uh, all of the same ewe base and basically split them in two and we've put two syndicates of rams joined uh, to, to those ewes with high breech wrinkle and low breech wrinkle. And let's see what, what the difference is. Another one was looking at um, the breech scoring methods. You know, we had a question about that and, you know, should we do it standing or is in the cradle okay? So we've compared some of those different um, options. The other one was tail docking. And if there's a better tail docking method, if we do go down that non-mills pathway, what's the best way that we can, you know, carry forward to be able to have still have some protection if, yeah, we're looking at those different things. I think that's, um, that gives me a lot of confidence, Sally, because it's, it's important that um, we are progressing down these pathways, but at the same time, it's important we're doing it with knowledge, information, data, you know, collecting records, proving things up. Uh, and a good one you raised there is one that we see come up a bit with the uh, responsible wool sourcing program where the tail docking requirement is is different to what was probably normal you know it's it's three vertebrae being left there and some people say oh gee it's uh, that could be a problem if, if you're looking at those sort of things are you seeing any evidence about the um, relevance of that or are you still hoping to pick up data and information on that I guess with the demonstrations they are exactly that they're just demonstrations they're not full-blown trials and a lot of this work was done um 
you know, back in the 30s and 40s in terms of tail length. And the, the, the current um, criteria is looking at, at that third knuckle and there are some breeders who feel that, you know, at the second is, is better. Again, this is a conversation also to have with the shearers, what's going to work best for you. It'd be really good, I think, if we could actually have a look at this this information or this this issue again. Uh, as I think, you know, a lot of the sheep types have changed over the over the years. Um, there are some breeders who prefer a much longer tail. So, I think it's actually working out what's best in your environment. And the other thing I would say is that I'm really proactive in terms of encouraging people to use pain relief, regardless of whether they're mulesing or just tail docking. Any action. Um, and using your, your, your short and your, your long-acting pain relief in combination, I think it, the benefits that we're seeing in terms of better mothering up after landmarking and being able to move sheep back to paddocks without any major issues is, is quite um, important. And I did a quick back-of-the-envelope um, calculation and had a quick look at how much it would cost. I often do this, you know, trying to justify you know, dollars per wear type thing. And if we're looking at between a dollar and $2.60 an animal for the different pain relief, and this is, this changes depending on how big the, um, the lamb is at the time, if we're looking at a 1,000 lambs, we only need, at a dollar, we only need seven more lambs to survive to pay for it. Like, you know, I just pick a, say, $150 a lamb by the time it's 12 months. Or seventeen dollars. Uh, sorry, seventeen lambs at um, you know at the high price. So you know we're not having to save many more lambs to value the use of the product when we're getting um, yeah a lot of production benefits from it. Now we know that farmers love seeing things for themselves and uh, and and seeing the evidence. Uh, that's why I think the uh, producer demonstration projects are really great ideas. Now, I'm sure you're promoting them around the countryside, and I'm sure MLA are, but for people listening today who haven't heard about them, where how can they actually pick up on some of that information and, and get connected with these producer groups when, they're, when you are making those demonstrations? Okay, yeah, that's a great point. We've got a website that we've, we're collecting names to be able to let people know when the different field days are on. Um, so uh, that's sheepmetrics.com.au there's a there's a spot on our website that you can go to to get more information and I can provide that um, to you if you have a show notes um, and I guess the other thing that's important is that this is a staged approach and there's there'll be some people that will have a more aggressive approach to change than others and one of the things that I think was really beneficial, we had a seminar recently in Young and we had five producers talking about their journey and they're all at different stages. And I think that peer-to-peer -peer learning, learning from others, what works well, what doesn't, yeah, again, you're in different environments, different sheep types, and um, the more we can put people in contact with one another, I think the better. And having that uh, plan is just essential. Exactly. And, and that's why I'm really, we're really appreciative having you on Commodity Conversations today, Sally. Uh, and your business, Sheep Metrics, is obviously a, um, a, a business that's supplying information and advice and assistance to the sheep industry. But we need to see these, I, I think we need to see these sorts of programs um, based on data 
and evidence, and, and that's the sort of work you're doing. So, Sally, many thanks for coming along. Uh, if anybody listening wants to know more, certainly go to sheepmetrics.com.au uh, or come to Mercado and we'll, uh, we'll put you in touch. Um, but I look forward to speaking to you again soon, Sally. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again. And until next week, take care. Thank you.